One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the CollectingCast.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Hello and welcome to another Collecting Cars podcast. And I always say it's a special one, but this, this really is. Um, we're here up north. I'm, I need a passport up here. We're in the Arctic Circle. Uh, we're north of Blackpool. We're, at, we're near Morecambe. Uh, and our guest is none other than, uh, well, motorcycling god John McGuinness, um, who has won I don't know how many TTs. I saw you had 47 podiums. Is that right? Yeah, 47. Yeah, 47 podiums, which is cool. Yeah, spread out over uh what it be 20 25 26 years yeah i got the most podiums i've not got the most wins there's one little irish fella in front of me on that one joe dunlop but uh you know i don't think i'm going to catch him up with three behind him but 47 podiums is it's pretty special yeah. but judging by what you've been saying before we recorded this um, and just to to fill people in i love the medium of radio or podcast i'm sitting in a quite extraordinary building surrounded by motorcycles leathers memorabilia Sometimes you walk into a room that, that is recognizing someone's career and it just looks like an awful ego trip. This doesn't, this is just a narrative of what is a quite bizarre life of bikes. We've got motocross bikes, speedway bikes, we've got circuit bikes, we've got TT bikes, we've got a pool table, we've got a bar that's stocked full of high quality liquor, <laughs> lots of crash helmets, and most importantly, a fruit machine as well. <laughs> so, um, got yeah. some monster in the fridge. I'm a monster athlete. Can he, I get that? Yeah, one? he's, he's, he's <laughs> a, a, a other, other. No, we don't, do we need to say other, other any drinks are available? We don't because it's not the BBC, is it? Um, so, you know, you, you've, you've created um, uh, this incredibly relaxed. Uh, personality because that's exactly who you are um it's quite clear that there is no there's no there's no sheen no veneer on this at all you present yourself as this quite straight speaking lad from Morecambe who would go through his rituals before he went off to race so let's let's start with with the TT we can talk about the other racing and your and your life with motorcycles from the beginning afterwards but when did you first go there yeah I first went there in 1982 uh with my dad uh, my dad was actually racing over there, but there was a 
There was some other little national races uh, at a place called Jerby Street Circuit. My dad actually raced himself a little bit, so went across 82. And it was when the when the Jerby races finish, it's when the TT starts. So it was uh, it was always in the school holidays. Is so. it consi- was it considered a warm up event for? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, not yeah. not for all of them. It was more. There was a few overseas, not overseas riders, a few Irish riders, and a, few, a lot of the Manx riders would do it. Only a short little little sketchy little road race circuit and. Uh, in a place called Jerby, and I went there with my dad in 1982. I'll be 10 years old. Uh, you know, I mean, dad was pretty good, to be fair. He wasn't a bad rider, my dad. He was just, he was a bit lazy, and he was too interested in drinking, shagging, and fighting, so that was his back career down the pan. But, you know... <laughs> any, he, any of that rub off on you or not? <laughs> no, no, I'm a good boy. No, I've been down that one. I couldn't afford the divorce now. <laughs> my trousers wouldn't be right around my ankles, but it's... Uh, <laughs> No, but we, like I say, my dad would be riding around and then we would watch the practice for the TT and then he'd be dragging me back home, back to school for the second week. So uh, and the TT's on for a fortnight. And uh, I don't know, I just, my dad just stuck me through the, the the ropes at the time, still his ropes, you know, to cover, stop people going onto the circuit. And, you know, it'd all be the greats at the time. It'd be, you know, Ron Aslam, Joey Dunlop. Mick Grant, Graham Crosby, all these top jockeys, and it just like wow, you know. So, are you aware of a moment when your consciousness was switched on to this, or was it always just a part of your life? It's always been part of my life. Bikes, bikes yeah. have always been. I mean, my dad used to have a bike shop. Uh, there weren't bike shops in the days; really. they were like sheds, lock yeah. up, lock up, I call them. Yeah. You know, just like, be wheeling and dealing, and, and was it sales and servicing and repairs, servicing, MLTs, race prep or not? A little bit, a yeah. little bit of everything. I mean, you know that that we lived. Yeah, well, it's from Morecambe. I mean, this, it was it was an industrial estate, and my dad got me a little Italia Jet, fifty, little Bambino, little eight-inch wheels on it, and off I popped. You know, it was. Uh, and in them days, you could ride around the estates, and we build little ramps, and it'd be like, "Oh, there's Johnny's bike," you know, and it was acceptable. Now, you know, helicopters out, police helicopters out, and they come and crush your bike for you. You know, there's no there's nowhere to go for anybody these days. But so right from three, four years old, I was plonked on a bike. I went to the race meetings with my dad. He did a bit of motocrossing, or it was scrambling at the time. Grass track racing, bit of road racing. My dad had, my dad would always have a bike, but somebody would bid him a bit of profit so the bike would be gone. So he'd buy an, a crap bike and it'd be rubbish again. Then he'd try his hand at road racing. You know, I remember him buying a TZ750. I mean, they're like, he what, 40, 50 grand worth at the time. And I remember him swapping it for a, a CB 400, a Mark 4 Cortina estate, and a, and a dog. <laughs> <laughs> a sheep dog thing. We have Dulux dogs. I don't know what the, what the brand is, but like, I remember, I remember hearing Ed Beige Cortina with a vinyl roof, with dog in back, just stood there looking out of that window. You're thinking, where's that lovely bike? Yeah, though? I was like, where's, ooh, I like that dog, Dad. Could not have that. No, so pedigree dog. So I flogged the dog and got a TZ 750. Oh. But, but so you as a young man, your father's has a life with motorcycles. At what point did you realise, or the people around you realise, that you might be able to do something on a motorcycle that your peers couldn't? There must have been a point quite early on. Uh, do you know what? With, with the scrambling, my dad took me racing. I didn't want to do it. My dad was the worst schoolboy motocross dad. You know all them dads that are just hanging over the ropes and firing fucks into you and everything? Yeah, yeah. The amount of times I've been... I mean, I've been left at 10, 11, 12 years old. I've been left in Barrow and Furnace at a race meeting, that's find me on my way back home because he's been disgusted the way I've been performing. <laughs> you know, just be like, <laughs> you'd be like, oh, that was rubbish. He'd be like, oh, fuck off, Dad. And then next thing you know, the van would be gone, you know. And I'd just be stood there in my race gear and there'd be a square where the van was. Uh, but your dad's your dad in his ace, you know. He, 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 I mean, 
put the clock forward. I went to school, did a bit of scrambling, a bit of motocross, a bit of this, a bit of that. And then I got an AP50 Suzuki on the road when I was 16. You know, and it's always... Uh, Always cool to have a go school on your bike, innit? You know, new bit of fingering at the back of the, <laughs> the bike shed's car when you got the bike. And then 17, I got a teaser R125. And then I was just flat out on the roads, mate, honestly. It was just round here, our roads are great. You know, there's a place at Kirby Lons there called Devil's Bridge. We all used to meet there, and it'd be a race to the next cafe in a race here. You know, I'd have my jeans on, my trainers on, and a paddock jacket, you know. And, and a lot of my dad's friends were saying, Phew, you know, get you get your lad off the road, you know, he's going to gonna kill himself. Yeah. And that's the reality of it. I was, I was going to hurt myself. And, uh, you know, we've got a KR1S Kawasaki, 250 Kawasaki. And uh, the old boy says, right, you know, you think you're good enough? Let's go racing. First race, 31 years ago, Aintree. So, Where did you come? <laughs> I was going to come to that. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was 31st and 29th, I think. So absolute baptism, rude awakening. Uh, I got beat by two girls. Uh, which is okay, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I was like, oh my God, what, you know. And what was your, back to the drawing board, what was your reaction? To, was, your, was your reaction to that? I'm not the rider I thought I was or that the people in my community think I am, my peer group. Therefore, I need to learn and become better. Or was it a kind of, this isn't for me? No, straight away, I was like, whoa, I've got my pants pulled down here. You know, I got Sean a new ass there. And I just, what are they doing different to me? So I'm in the paddock. I'm like, oh, he's got Avon tyres on him. He's got that gearing on. He's got this, that, and so I just we went away. Me and my dad, and so we got the right tyres on. We got the right sort of setup, at, or, and then went to some other races at Elvington. You know, Elvington yeah. used to have like a cone track in there. Yeah, so I went there. Then all of a sudden, you know, we're top top three, top four, winning a few plastic trophies. Everything's going good. Did as many races as we could at the end of 1990, and then 1991 come. I did this. What was called this. ACU Clubman's British Championship, which is like the next one down from your national championship. Goes to the first round at Mallory Park, wins it. So, ah, all right, we'll have to do the rest of the championship. So me and my dad, we were lad and dad. Uh, <clears throat> it was an old 1400 petrol Renault van. Caravan up back. You know, we go to as many races as we could. We, we won that championship this that year. Tough year though, you know, it was begging, stealing, borrowing, a few... People but could you do in. it without remortgaging the house then? Was it still could possible? Do it. Yeah. A couple of my friends chipped in. I was an apprentice brickie, so I was chucking my bit of money in there. My mum chucked a bit in. You know, my dad put as much as he could in. We had a couple of little outside sponsors, but it was, it was, I didn't care. I just wanted to do it. I didn't, I didn't start off with two million quid and blow two million quid. I started off with nothing, so I could never lose anything. Yeah. You know, I never had a big credit card at the time and that and blew my brain. And were you addicted to the process of trying to get somewhere or just racing the bike? I wanted to be a professional bike racer. I yeah. wanted to win. I wanted to win the TT. I wanted to be British champion. You know, I had- and it, so interestingly, that's an interesting comment. You're already focused on the TT. You're not focused on MotoGP. You're not focused on circuit racing. It's already the TT is your thing. I wanted to win a TT. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say at the time when I first started, it wasn't mega priority because I'd never ever thought I was going to be able to get there. I wanted to do. It was a massive dream. So I didn't let anything else stand in the way. You know, my, my mates used to go to their massive parties and take 
acid pills, what yeah. they call them, and then be going there. And, and I say, where are you going? I'm, well, I'm going to Snetterton this weekend. Well, I thought I was mad. Sometimes just, when you're at Snetterton, it feels like you're an acid, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great track, is it? <laughs> the old track was better than this new one. That new one, that. I was there the other week. I'm much just like the old one. Flat, when I first raced there, there were no bloody runoff at the bomb hole. None of these tracks. And, no. You know, I've, I've crashed at Coram myself, sparked myself out. I crashed at Turn 1. You know, my dad was mad as fuck with me. Cabbage field in Turn 1, isn't it? Well, there were, it was a cabbage field. But for years, it was always a barrier into a nothing. So it must have been the discrepancy with a farmer or something. But anyway, they've opened that barrier up now. But there never used to be any barrier. I was headfirst into that, off to Kingsland Hospital. Not Kingsland, Norwich Hospital. The old fella come and get me an old Iveco van and stuff like that. This is a bit later on. But, I mean, going back back to that, you know, it, it, I mean, my dad used to work on the gas rigs as well at, at one point. So, you know, I'd be at a race meet and I'd be at Cadwell or something. And I'd be like, I'd have to ring him at a certain time in a telephone box. To ring the gas rig. Yeah. And he goes, How's it going? You know, what jets have you got in? What gear have you got? And what's it revving to down the back? You know, so we just like do this like briefing on the telephone in a telephone box, and then I'd go away and try and get the best we could. And th- that's the races my dad couldn't get to. Uh, but I was only 18, 19 at the time. Is your view of that 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 helped you become the competitor you have? In other words, it's a bit school of hard knocks. It's a lovely story, but also it isn't conventional. Or do you look at young kids that have got two million quid to try and spend to get there? Do you think I wish I'd had that? You must think the former, mustn't you? Yeah, I don't. It's it's difficult. I get a lot of kids asking me about advice and one thing or another, and I pick and choose who I who will help. I see some of them who really want to do it because they really want to do it with the heart and everything, and I get some of them who just get it handed on the plate and don't really want to do it. They just they think it's a bit Hollywood. They think it's quite cool, and then I've seen them come and they go, "Do you know what? I can't quite cut it in this. I'm going to go racing boats or I'm going to go racing go karts or whatever." Yeah, but. We had such a laugh. It's you know, we, 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 everything we did were fun. Everything we did, you know, there was always a story with it. You know, there was always a problem with Van. We had a blowout, or Van did a head gasket once going to Lydon. Yeah, fuck it. I said to my mother, I, I was shagged. I'd done a week's work, and I, I put my tools in bucket, and off we went to, to Lydon. So I'd driven so far down there, and you know, the last little few bits is really hilly. I said to my mum, whatever you do, don't let the temperature of the van get over, get over a certain temperature. My mother didn't realise I'd fallen asleep in van. Into red, van did an egg gasket. Like, oh, fuck's sake. I had to ring the AA, uh, join the AA, and got it, it relayed all the way back home, back to Morecambe. So leading to home's like 300-odd miles. But it was, I don't know. I, I, hey, listen, if you had to, two million quid to get going, then fair enough. You know, you, you know that's just the way it is nowadays, isn't it? It's really well, frustrating. What, what, what people just, can't see is that when you're telling all these stories, the moment you your brain goes into reminisce mode, you grin. You just smile, which is which must tell us something. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, no, we, like I said, I'm a simple lad from Morecambe. I went to normal school in in, in Morecambe. We we just, you know, we we ducked and dived. It it was tough, but nothing ever stood in me way. I never ever stopped believing I was going to be able to do it. You know, and we put red diesel in van. We had no insurance. My dad's John McGuinness. So I used his insurance policy for years, you know. <laughs> you know, you, you get, when you got pulled up by the police, you'd be like trembling, wouldn't you just try and bullshit your way through it? And then you used to go and get, used to go to the the, the, the police station and we had a producer, didn't you? You had a producer. Yeah, yeah, you used yeah. to go in with your insurance certificate. Everything's online now. You're shafted, aren't you? So, and my dad was John McGuinness and I was John McGuinness. You'd be stood there behind the glass thing and they'd be filling that big bucket and you'd be like... <laughs> yeah. All right, lad, and away you go. Fucking hell, we got away with that one. But 
Yeah, 91, going back to 91, I won that British Clubman's Championship and uh, I, I won what was called the Shell Scholarship for 1992. Uh, and the Shell Scholarship was uh, something you had to... There was two scholarships. There was a rally scholarship yeah. and there was a bike scholarship. Well, I won the Shell Bike Scholarship and Alistair McRae won the, the car one and he was driving one of them... Uh, he got a Sierra Sapphire Rally Group N car and I was at an FZR 400. So, and to be honest... I thought I'd hit the jackpot. I really did. Yeah. You know, I thought that's it. I'm going to be world champion. We're away. Job's a dream. Everybody's going to be banging on my door, giving me this, giving me that. And uh, I didn't work at it enough. You know, I didn't sort of keep the sponsors happy. Didn't uh, probably do the right things, but I didn't know. You know, I didn't. Is know. that because you didn't understand the commercial side of the business, or is it just because you were just focused on riding the bike? I just wanted to ride the bike. Yeah. I thought things were going to get. It was opening doors left, right, and centre. And, and behind the scenes, they were working with a lad called Sean Emmett, and the Shell Scholarship turned into the Shell Grand Prix team. They took they took Sean Emmett to to, to five hundred Grand Prix, and I said, "So, oh, what will I do next year, lads?" And oh no, mate, you know you're done. <laughs> but it, 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 I learned a lot. I grew up a lot, you know. And then I was back on my ass, proper privateer, and uh, you know I bought a Yamaha TZ uh, sorry TZ two fifty with my dad again. And we were total privateer, you know, Zyveco 6010 van that was dropping to bits, you know, bike in the back of the van. We just begged, stealed and borrowed. And because I, like, I, I was friendly with everybody, maybe a bit of a character and stuff, I got really friendly with Dunlop tyres. They used to give me part-worn tyres out of the back of the, the bin that was always pretty good. I'm still a Dunlop ambassador now to this day. You know, some of the old riders gave me some second-hand pistons, some second-hand brake pads and, and loads of bits and pieces, but... Was Again. that because they because was that because you're the Cherky Chappie? Was that because they genuinely felt that you had some kind of unrequited talent that they felt they could help you discover? Do you think? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. Because people want to be part of the story afterwards. They want to say afterwards, don't they? Yeah. I always knew he was good. There yeah. must have been a part of that. I think they? so. I think so. And I'm still pally with them now. You know, Nigel Bosworth, Steve Sofford, some of the names you, you might not recognise, but you know they were they were in better positions than me, one thing or another. But they gave me all the old pads and that, and all the old gear and stuff, and it made me. You know, I'd have some good results here, some good results there. A lot of people said to me, are you wasting your time? Why are you going on with it? You know, do this, do some club racing, try this and try. And I'll just, no, no, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn the circuits. I'm going to learn the business. I'm going to keep going. 93, 94, 95 was on my ass, you know, racing from weekend to weekend. And then <clears throat> I got my first real big break in 1996. I rode for Paul Bird, you know, who runs the, the Ducati team now. Yeah. He's the, you know, and Bird, Bird, he stepped in, bought me a new bike and then... Everything, but I'd I'd learnt my trades under the radar a little bit, yeah. And sort of got a real competitive bike, and then try and going, you know, turning the clock back. I'd, I'd always had ideas of doing the TT. I couldn't ever go to the TT with the machinery I had because I never had a pot to piss in. Plus, my bikes were pretty scrap, really, to be honest. But then I got this new bike. Thought, right, we're in. Went and did the Northwest Two Hundred and did the the, the, the my first TT in nineteen ninety six. So that's when the so penny, not penny drop, but the the. So from a car a car perspective, you 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 get to the TT and and this is there's there's already a sort of romantic relationship you've got with this circuit, even though you've not competed there. It's in your head, it's in your psyche. What's it like to do that first lap? Visor down, and you do the first lap of the place. Did you suddenly think I'm home? I always belonged here, or did it scare you? What what was how was the reality versus what you imagined it would be like? Well, that's a that's a mint question. It's a, it's one I'll try and try and explain to you. If you can just try and figure it out because I 
I'd read the books, I'd listened to the riders. Anybody who was any, any good at the TT, I used to hang off every word they said, you know, and everything was just, I was a sponge. So when I got to the TT in 1996, it was, I was pulled up on the start line, and in, in, in them days, you, could, you practiced in the morning and at night time, but now you only practice at night time. You used to practice at quarter past five, so first daylight. So the small bike capacity is always out first. So it was, a, it was quarter past five in the morning. I'm lining up on the start line. You know, there was a there's an old guy with a white smock on with a chalkboard saying, you know, misty on the mountain, damp under the trees. <laughs> You know, all the bits that I knew about them. I wasn't. I was prepared for it because I'd, I'd not done it practically, but meant I just knew. <laughs> I'd seen all them boards before. I was like, oh my god, I'm here. You know, I'm pulling up to the line, and there was another real good friend of mine called Mick Lofthouse. He was on a little one two five. I thought if I can go away with Mick, with Mick Lofthouse, I'll, I might learn a little bit. But anyway, I got muscled out of the way by another lad called Lee Pullen, and Lee Pullen was such a character. Unfortunately. Both of them are gone. They were both killed in 96. One was at the TT in practice, Mick Lofthouse, and uh, Lee got killed at Spa. A marshal ran out in front of him, and the marshal got killed, and he got killed. But they're two real good mates of mine. And Lofty was a, a Lancashire lad from uh, from Accrington, proper boy, you know. <laughs> and uh, Pullen was so funny. And then he, he's pulled up, he's got a slick tyre on. I'm like, brand new slick. I'm like, fuck yeah, he's got a slick on. What's he doing? Black visor on. It was like dull and I looked around him. Both of them went, big thumbs up at me. And I was like, absolutely trembling. And off I went. And uh, I try I try and explain it. My first ever lap was like four, not, it was like four seasons. You know, all four seasons in one lap. Yeah. So you've got 38 mile laps, so four seasons in one lap. It was sunny, it was windy, it was cold, it was dry, it was damp, it was foggy. I did my first lap, crossed the line and... In a couple of laps and I came in and everybody's like, just, everybody's full of buzzing away and everything. And there was two of my other, well, three of my other friends. Uh, one was Bruce Anstey, who's won a lot of TTs. One was David Jeffries, who was a nine times TT winner, got killed in all three. We were newcomers, all orange jackets on. And <laughs> there used to be like an old army tent, tea tent, and we're in there just going, oh, you blah, 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 just waffling shit, you know. Did you see that? Did you, you know? I just remember it like yesterday. But it's, uh, yeah, b- baptism of fire, if you like, but I was prepared for it. But it was uh, a funny year. 96 was a funny year for me. It was a real bad week in practice. And uh, on the Friday, it was dry, but not a great morning. And there was a bloke called Robert Holden passed me going into Bala Crane. And then about four or five corners late, he crashed and he was killed in front of me. So I had to ride through all the debris of that. And then Mick Lofthouse was killed at Milltown on the same lap. I was like, mate, I'm done. You know, maybe just not for me this. I'm... I'm sort of gonna. How long gonna, did it take you to process that day. and realise that that wasn't going to be the case? Well, do you know what turned it round for me? It was Mick Lofthouse's dad. Lofty was killed in, on the Friday morning. Friday afternoon, his dad was like telling me to get on with it. Arthur, like Arthur's like fuck's sake, fucking get on with job. He says, get your king gear on, get riding. You are, you are. <laughs> di- I know it's easy to say. It's such a such a such a hackneyed phrase, but you are a different breed, you know. And I think. <laughs> you know, the way that the car world views you. I mean, you are the last gladiators and the, and the way you talk about it, well, I want to go into that later on, this idea of how you, how your relationship with such a dangerous sport, but... Well, it's epic though. You know the race, it was ace. I know. You know the weather turned out mint because we had a shit week in practice and I did, did okay in practice up. And then I, I'd start number 71 and they moved me up to 18. So I got towards a sharp end, you know. So I did 110 in practice. So, and then the race come, beautiful sunshine. Conditions were perfect. 
you know, I did four perfect laps, good pit stop. I finished 15th. You know, I got a, you know, bronze replica. Joey Dunlop won the race. It, and then, you know, selfishly, you forget about what's happened. And yeah. it's like, I can't wait to get back next year. And, and it did it... Was it everything you'd hoped it would be in, in your head? The experience of riding it, the sense of finishing it? Yeah, it was more. It was more. It's everything. The riding, the place, the people, the atmosphere, the heritage, the history, the what's gone on around there. You know, I just, I loved it. You know, it's just, it's one of the only things you can actually do without being arrested for doing something crazy. You know, it's yeah. still, still raw. It's still... You know, I still have the utmost respect for the place, you know. I don't, I was working it out with you and my son while I was injured with my leg and we've done over 50,000 miles around there. <laughs> 125s, 250s, electric bikes, single-cylinder bikes, Ducatis, Yamahas, done everything, you know. And, it, and what, what more have you got to prove? You know, what more have I got left to... I'm not... T- can't tick any more boxes. It's been amazing. You know, so if you'd, if you'd have been sat here 20-odd years ago and said, look, mate, you're going to win six TTs, you know, here's your pack of cards. You're going to win six. You'd probably fucking took the six, wouldn't you, and gone, and I'm happy, you know. But it was to win 23. Epic journey. But it sounds epic like you might journey. you might go and have another go. <laughs> well, I, I got injured in 17, and it was a bit weird, really. The penalty didn't fit the crime. I know no, nobody wants to get injured, and it's well documented. You know, I rode for Honda for a long time and it was a, it was a problem with the auto blipper system and the throttles and it accelerated on its own, you know, and it's like, it's weird when your bike accelerates, it, it, it it's like an act of God. It's like, I've had throttles stick before, but when they're stuck from being flat out, you, your brain just goes, pull clutching, whatever. But when they open on their own, because they fly by wire, you know, I went through this fence, I lost 52 mil on my leg, I had to grow 52 mil on my leg back, et cetera, et cetera. So like, like I say, I've gone, not unfinished business. I just, 17 with disaster, 18, I never recovered. 19, I went with the Norton. The Norton story, Chrome, Hollywood, Bling. You know, it was looked, looked like it was going to be amazing. You know, front of the house was was ace. Back of shop, engine room was a pile of shit. And we all know what's happened to the Norton thing. It's a mess, big time, man. Yeah. <laughs> they owe me a few quids, you know. Uh, but hey, can't take kids off me. Can't take what I've achieved, you know. But I... The last time I was on the Isle of Man TT, the engine bolt broke and was dragging along the ground, you know. And I've done a lot of mileage around there, and I never, ever wanted my TT career to finish on a broken engine bolt on a on a pile of junk. You know, I want to cross the line in a fucking blaze of glory. Do you need to have won it, or do you just need no, to have done no, the best you could to. have done on the bike? I don't need to have won it at all, no. I finished third in 2016 on the Honda Fireblade behind two BMs, yeah, Michael Dunlop and Hutchie, and, you know, them two rode awesome. And I rode, <laughs> not like blowing wind up my ass, but I, I rode great. Yeah. And sometimes you can only piss with a dick that you've got, and that's what I had. And I did 132.7 on it. I matched my lap, outright lap record from the year before. I finished on the podium. It was the best feeling in the world. I was in the press conference, and, you know, we don't have to... St- fucking thank everybody else and all that shit in our press conferences. Somebody handed me a bottle of Corona. I said, fucking absolutely. So I nailed a bottle of Corona. We tell everybody how great it was. And it was brilliant. It was magical, magical thing. You know, that, that release when you've passed the, passed the line on after the senior, everybody's, you know, win one piece. You're on the podium and then you think, wow, wow, that was amazing. You know, you, tough, tough mental, you know, fortnight of riding and racing. It's like a lot of pressure on your shoulders. And then, 
you know, you finish, and that's how I want to finish. If I'm, if, if best I can do sixth or eighth or whatever on whatever bike I'm on, TT 2022, that's all I've got. Well, as long as I've done my best and I've enjoyed it, that's all that matters, you know. But I'm not finishing on a, a fucking engine bolt breaking on a bike. No way. No chance. Not all the, you know, all the, not, not all the success I've had, but just the, I've had some amazing rides and... It's a nasty aesthetic, isn't it? It's, it's, not, it's, it's not how just, you want it to no, be. No, no chance, you know. I can't, you know, there's some, some riders there now who raise the bar. They've raised the bar. You know, can I match them? With my hand on my heart, probably not. But, you know, next year when I'm on the start line, I'll be 50 year old, but it'll be my 100th start as well. So, 100 starts. So, to come back to that, we look at these young riders, um, some of whom seem to take risks and do things that are even more extraordinary than what you've done. I mean, from a car world, what you do doesn't compute. <laughs> but they, they've taken it to another level. So, this, the, what's fascinating about what you do is, is you're a professional rider with incredible skills on a motorcycle but as a as a bystander as someone who's you know not as into it as neil who's recording this for us who's a massive <laughs> bike hero and basically just sitting there slathering at the at the jaws at the moment you're in the risk management business for me and so what what is amazing is that throughout a tt weekend for me i just see someone like you being offered quite binary choices there's a load of ones and noughts in your head you can either do one yeah. thing or the other and you you seem to always make the right choice are you aware of the fact that you're doing that because the fact that you are you could be doing your hundredth start means that you're better at risk management than anyone else has ever done that you must be because you're, yeah. you're in one bit how, how do you do that great question uh difficult to answer but i think that uh i've i've been sat on my bike not knowing that it's not my day you know sometimes i, I you, you know you can't you can't win them all you know you can't you can't win every race you, you, you start you, but you can just do 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 your best get everything prepared go out there and sometimes you know you read your, you read your pit board you might be p3 you might be 15 20 seconds down on that and, and you just think to yourself well i can't win today i'm just gonna enjoy my ride it's a lovely day uh you know enjoy it take you know take all the atmosphere in and and, and just and go sometimes go back to what you started racing for, which is to enjoy it, you know. You don't want to put yourself under pressure all the time. I know it's hard to deal with sometimes because from a manufacturer, they want this, 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 but at the end of the day, there's no gun to your head. You know, I, I just go and I go and ride my bike, so, you know, but there has, there has been times, I never really say it, and you know, I'll run a podcast now and that, but I'll never see it. Well, I will say it, you know, in 2006 and seven, I just thought nobody's going to beat me. I'm my superbike, nobody's going to beat me, that's it. Yeah. End of story. I never say it because I used to look at him and think, no chance. Um, but it was it was the combination of myself, my my home life, my mechanics, the bike, the tires where we were. You know, you could have you can have ten million quid, and a lot of people working for you don't want to be at the TT. You're not going to win anything. You know, you just have you need a need a real small knit group of people that are passionate about what they want to do. Because like I say, a lot of mechanics, a lot of people, oh, I'm not going to TT. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sort of mechanic in that bike and how dangerous it is and wanting another. But I trusted everybody around me. You know, I was like the final piece in the jigsaw of that to deliver on the day. It's, it's interesting. The people I've interviewed over the years, elite athletes, and you are one, um, 
all say the same thing, that mm. there was a moment when they knew they were unbeatable, but they're also very reluctant to ever admit it. It's, yeah. quite, it's quite key. It's a bad thing to say in it. You know. No, it's not, because it, but it's, tr it's very truthful. But the, yeah. you could argue that the difference between the greats and the not greats are the ones that are reluctant to admit it, <laughs> you could say. I've just never tried to be a big head. I've always tried to be grounded. I've always, I've never really changed my personality or anything like that. You know, I really, I'm hungry for things. And, and, I'll, and I like sometimes, you know, there's positions at the TT where where they'd written me off a little bit. You know, Guy Martin was come along and I've had other people come along and, oh, they're going to take the crown and all this lot. And that used to wind me up. It used to motivate me. Under the radar, you yeah. know, and I used to think, I just think, fucking hell, he's not having it today. No chance, that's it. You know, and I remember Guy Martin ran me off the track at uh, the Northwest through one of the chicanes and, you know, it, fuck, it riled me, you know. This is the build-up race, build race for the TT and... and I was thinking we was like Steve Plato was leading, I was second, he was third. And I was like trying to line him up because Honda was a bit faster on this next straight. I thought if I'd get him, you know, I'm thinking of how tactically I got it. Guy was like, oh, I've got past John, made him fuck the whole race up for me. But what he said afterwards, he said, oh, them factory riders, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's he doing on Monday morning? Polishing his motor home. That's what he said. Fuck. That went deep, you know, yeah. that went mega deep. So, was it calculated to go deep or was it just going It was just saying, a shitty thing to say. Yeah. You know, he was 25 years old at the time and he's, he's laying under trucks, spannering trucks. Yeah, great. Magic, you know, that's yeah. fine. When I was 25, I was laying bricks. Yeah. You know, and I never went to the TT till I was 25. So he's way ahead of me. And I'm thinking, you're disrespectful to act. Yeah. You're going to have one at TT and that's it. So I smashed it into him at the in senior TT, did the first 130 mile an hour lap. And that was most... Fucking felt mega to me. So this but is he came to me and fair play, he came to me and congratulated me. I mean, he has done a couple of times, guy. Me and Guy got on great. I was Guy's last teammate yeah. when the Honda disaster. And he come and shook me and he said, fair play. And I squeezed his hand as hard as I could. I said, I'm just off to polish my motor on now, guy. <laughs> <laughs> so and he just looked at me and went, you know, he knew. But then like, you know, 2015, you know, I was on I was laying in my bed just before the race and all things are going through your mind. I sat next, you know, laid there thinking, is this is this covered? Is that covered? What's the weather gonna be like? You know, the pit board guys are all this sort of stuff. And, and I read, oh, I was 18 to 1 at the bookies to win. So I'm fucking better than that. <laughs> and that just went <laughs> deep, right? You're going to eat your words, you bastards. <laughs> I drilled him in 2015. So. So, how, so, so a lot of this is how do you manage that kind of urge? Because if, if something, as you say, if something runs deep, yeah. If you, if you race cars these days, what are the consequences? You might mm. bend the car and someone's got to buy you another one. But in your world, the consequences are, are awful. So, yeah. so clearly you manage that emotion, that sort of volcanic eruption of, I want to demonstrate that yeah. they were wrong about me. You mm. must manage it better than other people because that's when it goes wrong, isn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah. And then so sometimes when you, 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 you try and push at the TT, you go backwards. Yeah. You have to, you've got to be strong at the start. You've got to make sure that you hit every, every apex. You've got to be, things have slightly changed at the TT. It was always a little bit, Everybody used to be a little, like, there's three or four, well, maybe half a dozen corners where you could go, well, there's not really much time to make up there. Well, no, there is now. <laughs> you know, it's like there's no st no stone unturned. Like, quarter bridge, slowest corner on the track, where you attack attack it. Everybody years ago, you'd be like, well, it's easy to fall off there, which it is because it's a slippy corner. But you could also lose second and a half. So you go into Balacrane, you lose another half a second or you go into the end of the Sulby straight and lose a bit. So all of a sudden, because of six corners, you're six seconds down, it's a lot harder to pull it back. 
where now you think, well, I'm going to go flat out into Quarter Bridge because if I fall off, I'm going to get up and walk away. <laughs> so, so the thinking, so, the, 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 almost the crowd thinking of that part of the circuit yeah. has changed. Yeah. The, 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 a few of the bits where you, you're nicking a bit there, you're nicking there, you're nicking there. Well, it was always, everybody would just like, oh, be careful at Quarter Bridge. Well, no, it's not quite for quarter now. This is where you can risk it because you're going to walk away. The corners that are under an 80 mile an hour, everybody's very similar. You know, they're just... That's quite car racing. Everyone thinks yeah. the big bollocks fast corners is where the time is. It's yeah. not. It's in the slow corners mm-hmm. where you can make more time, isn't it? Yeah, just go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper on the brakes, you know. And it's different when you've got a full tank of fuel, the harder to stop. And, you know, the bike changes as the, as the two laps go, as the fuel comes down, stuff like that. So you just... Nicking a bit here, nicking a bit there. And also the pit stops have got to be good as well. You know, I remember for years and years, they always thought we were good in the pits, which we were good in the pits. But also our hon- I, I was, my teammate and me, same bikes, I'd use two litres less fuel, a litre a lap less. So the, fil- the fuel fill is a gravity fed and it's one and a half seconds to get a litre in. So I used to get three seconds back a pit stop and nobody could understand it. Easiest three seconds that you yeah, can buy. It's free. It's free of charge because I was not as aggressive on the throttle and we used to run a slightly leaner map. You know, just things like that. You know, it's, it's pathetic, really. It's com- complete basics. But we used to nick bits on the basic stuff. That's why my team was so good. My mechanic was awesome to me. And I love him to bits, Julian Bowling and Leighton Haig. You know, Leighton used to say things to me. He used to just motivate me so much, you know. So you've got so you've got a young rider that you're taking to the TT, right? This is I love this. You know, the way you talk about this is infinitesimal learning, think little tricks, as you say. Yeah. Little everything is incremental. Would you ever share all of your knowledge with another human being? You must know stuff that you know has got you there that is a secret in your head that that is yeah. your knowledge. Would you ever share? I would. Any, I, would. You would. I genuinely would because I want to say, lads, you know, not put the cell in in any danger. If I can help somebody. I would do. I would give him everything, yeah. But I, I, I try not to. Not that I don't want to. I try, I try not to because I'll tell you a little story. 2005, it was a, it's a sad story really, but 2005, a real good mate of mine, again, a lad called Gus Scott, he wrote, he wrote uh, for Performance Bike magazine, 40-year-old at the time, funniest guy you'll ever meet, witty, great, good, you know, journalist, magic. Got on him really, really well. And he was only nine about doing TT, and he's coming now. I said, look, mate, you'll be fine. You'll be mint. You've got the right attitude. Steady away. Going to the, he went to TT 2005, and uh, everything's going great. He's loving, living the dream. And then 2005 senior, last race of the, last race of the week, uh, somebody broke down at a place called Kurt Michael, and the marshal ran out in front of Gus. Gus killed, Gus killed instantly. So was the marshal. Shit fight. I'm on the podium, spraying the champagne, won the old five senior, kicks off the podium, Gus is dead. Like... So it was just like, hi, law. And I felt responsible for it. I was at the funeral and I could just see his mum and dad looking at me. And I, that really, really hurt. And uh, just, I'll never forget it. So I just, it's, it's if you want to do the TT, you, you've, you've got to go yourself. You've got to show me that you want to go. Uh, you, you know, you've, you've, and you don't get a handbook. No. <laughs> Nobody says this is how you do it. You can build a wall a certain way, but you can't ride around there a certain way. And it's, I would, you know, the, the, there's a lot of pressure on them now. There's a few new youngsters going and they think they've got it figured out and they haven't. You know, they know it's a left, they know it's a right, they know it's this, they know it's that. But to actually do it, it's so different. It's so different to do it. And and they don't see the wind, they don't see the, the, the temperatures, they don't see the, you know, little things that you... When the sun's low and coming through the trees and the 
light strobes and just there's so much and you just got to let them do it let them do it and just give them a little bit but unlike car racing where you can get it wrong have a spin and start again yeah you no, don't have small incidents no, at the TT no, do you they are massive the consequences are massive and you know you, 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 people ask me why do you do it what are you doing oh, you're going to have to prove well, you must be mad and all that like, I just, it winds me up a little bit sometimes I'm not mad I'm a sensible fella you know you can't it can't do 250 corners 250 times correctly for 50,000 miles if you're an idiot you're going to last five minutes you know so it's 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 it isn't you know we're proper good at what we do and you know what? everybody loves it but they're not allowed to like it yeah do you know what I mean yeah it's like your mum and dad you never own a bike off you break your legs if you get a bike and all that lot but everybody loves it there's not allowed to say it yeah there's no way you not wouldn't go to TT and enjoy that you know, and see what see if your own eyes. <clears throat> you know, the speed, the atmosphere, the noise, the thrill, it's just it's epic. Have you ever and done if you a sat lap? on the bike, it's just another level. It's another level again, but have you ever done a lap at ten tenths? Uh I would like to say my two thousand and fifteen lap two on my blade when I did hundred and thirty two seven was about was probably everything in. <laughs> There's no, <laughs> my chips are in. <laughs> I like that's me, but again, it, I'd like to think it was. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good as well, you know what I mean. Oh, again, I it wasn't like, ragged; it was controlled. No, it was absolutely yeah. everything. Every I hit, I hit every apex, I hit every mark, and you know you've got corners that are four lefts taken as one with two apexes blind. You know all the mounting, I got all all perfect, and I came in into the pits and just like the crowd went because it was an outright lap race. You can hear the crowd in the pit stop, and they're like, Whoa. you know what I mean? It's like God, I've got two more laps to do because the winning's the most important thing. Lap record is the icing on the cake, but the winning's where you get your money and your kudos and everything. But yeah, 2015 senior lap two was, 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 was good. I, I know it was good because the blade was still, was a bit long in the tooth. The BMs are a bit faster, but and, you know, the, the other guys were, you know, they were, they were saying I was done and stuff. So, but it, again, you know, I didn't, didn't make any mistakes. It was slowing down for the pits as well. You lose nearly 10 seconds slowing down for the pits. So if it was a flying lap, like uh, Hickey's outright lap record is 132.4, sorry, 135.4, which is insane. 16 minutes 42, 16.42 for 38 mile an hour. So I did 17, 17.01. Uh, 
But I saw him down for pit, so if it was a flying lap, it'd be under, mid-133, so it's, it's nibbling at him, but <laughs> just, yeah, I'm just trying to work it out. I have to justify it in my head, I don't know, it's cheating it really, but I can't, you know, if it was a flying lap, it'd be mid-133, so, and, uh, you know, the, the bike, bikes are, should be a bit better. If I can just find, if I can find that form next year, I'll be all right, I think. So the the only comparison I can draw between the car racing world is probably Formula 1 in the 1970s. 60s and 70s when it was a very high-risk sport, lots of fatalities. Mm. Um, it's a tricky question. How, how do you manage relationships with people when you know full well that they might not be around afterwards? A lot of Formula 1 drivers would, at the time, would be interviewed and say, I don't form 100% friendships. I take a, I take a mm. step back because I, I don't want to deal with that mm. bereavement when it happens. It, are you yeah, I understand that. that. How, how, do you, how do you deal that. with that? I understand that. I've never been like that, but I understand why they wouldn't be friendly with each other just in case they in case it, uh, something happened. But I, I'm I'm the other way. I like people, me. I like friends and I like people. In the, uh, they're all characters. I buzz off them all, you know, like like David Jeffries was my best mate. He's my son's godfather and he got killed right in front of me at the TT. I was the first man on his crash. But he wasn't suffering. He was gone in the breath. It was not like, uh, you know, whatever, shit fight. It was just gone. Yeah. And uh, it's just, I knew it was, I knew it was, absolutely living the dream because <laughs> he just he'd got this new bird one thing or another you know big tits he was only always interesting with tits were Dave didn't matter if I had a head like Birkenhead as long as I had massive tits <laughs> and uh, you know he was <laughs> he had a bit of a struggle struggling a little bit in the northwest and he got his bike sorted out and did the fastest lap of practice and then got then was killed but it wasn't his fault it was oil on the track so uh, you know it's hard it is really hard you know but does it help that you're in a community of people that are like-minded? I mean, surely yeah. the, the the watchword is that you're you're only here once, aren't you? All of yeah. you are thinking you're only here once. This is the thing we're doing. We love it. And if you're in if you're in that community of people, surely you're in a bubble, then, aren't you? You are in a bubble, and it's it's a, it's a big community. And the parents are strong, the friends are strong, and we're all strong people. And you just sort of say, you know, we all it's cliche in it. We're doing what we love, and all this sort of stuff, you know. But you know, from the outside looking in, it looks, must look ridiculous, but. I don't know. I've had a I've had a real good do. You know, somebody said to me, right, you're gonna have sixty shit years or fifty great years. I take fifty great ones. And I've had fifty great ones. And they're still flying along now, you know. It's still great. I can still get to meet everybody like yourself, you know, on a day like today. I still love it. I still love in life, but it's yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I should try and get a script where I can say something, but it's still it does People ask me this and it, it puts me back a little bit and I don't, I don't really well, know. Do you, do you think it's fair to really say that actually the only say. way you can deal with it is to just park it? It's just yeah, part of what you do. Is, and yeah. if you actively think about and maybe I shouldn't have asked yeah. that question. I didn't mean to be disrespectful. I'm just fascinated yeah, by it. No, you're right. So, so I, I would struggle yeah. to deal with that. I've lost a few friends through car racing and it's hit me quite hard yeah. because it is such an anomalous event. Mm. It's not yeah. what happens. And because mm. it's so abnormal, it really hit me. I've got a part of my brain that can just be just dealt with and it's gone. Yeah. I don't know how. And it, it's probably really selfish. And people go to me, you fucking, you know, what about your kids? What about this? You know, you, you know you're know, a dad, you're a parent and all that. But I mean, I'll give them a good platform. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, I, I know, well, I don't know, but some parents are shit. As yes. simple as that. You know, yes. they, they're all pissed, they're doing what they're doing, you know, they're not interested. Yeah. You know, we've travelled all over the world, I've took my kids all over the world, we've raced all over everywhere, we've, you know, we've got the memories, we've got the pictures, we've got stories, we've got the videos, we've got everything, you know, and hopefully they can turn around and say, hey, my dad was a good guy, 
you know, it, it, what a good job he did. Look at the platform he's left us. You know, they might sell all my bikes and go on piss for the next twenty years. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but at least you know they're not. <laughs> They're not going to be left with nothing. You might fix that tractor you were messing around <laughs> when you got hit when we arrived. Yeah, around my tractor out of diesel. Yeah, that's bad, isn't it? Uh, but I, th- I think, um, I don't know, like, you know, Sheeny, you know, Sheeny died of cancer at 52. Well, I'm 50 next. You know, James Hunt dropped dead at 40, didn't he? Yeah. You know, Steve Islock was killed in a helicopter at 42. Alice, Colin McRae was, you know. I don't know. You know, there's not, who knows what's around the corner? I don't know. But, where, do, where do you stand when, when people question the future of the event itself and whether it should exist what i mean you must get asked that the whole time i don't want i don't want to draw you into that but how do you feel about being even asked the question that's the question i want to ask you i'm happy with the question you know end of the day it's you know hitler couldn't stop it could he (laughs) (laughs) you know it's had two goes two world wars (laughs) you know it's been through the shit it's been through a few shit fights on it you know there was a sea strike in 66 you know foot and mouth kicked it in the knackers in 2001 i missed that year, COVID's, you know, booting it in the ghoulies. But at the end of the day, there's, at the minute, you know, that our our media's full of what they're going to do, you know, what are they going to run it? It's going to go live TV next year, you know. It's uh, 2023, there's going to be 10 races instead of eight, you know. They're pushing on. Yeah. They love it. It's part, of their, it's part of their DNA, you know. I mean, I sort of... <laughs> Silly old bastards who decided they were going to do it in 1905. Well, I'd love to have a conversation with them now, exactly, wouldn't you? Yeah. I'd like, come here, mate. Have you just realised what you've done to my <laughs> lots of lives? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, let's have a race in the Isle of Man. You think, what? where does that come from? You know, let's have a race around the streets in the Isle of Man. It's the last great no gladiatorial yeah. Yeah. sport, yeah. isn't it? There yeah. isn't anything else that's as high consequence. There isn't, no. And like you say, I keep going back to it. Everybody loves They're all intrigued by it. It's a fascination with it, isn't it? I've you know, I know a few car races and one thing that I've been to Formula One a few times and that. The car races, they're they're they're, in, they're into it, you know. I'm but like, the, what's that button do on your car? They're like, oh fuck that. Oh, about TT. Well, of course they are, but I think I think because they are viewed by their peer groups as being a bit bonkers and a bit yeah. out there and risk takers. You know, how can you be a mm. Formula One driver? You're the last gladiator, but of course. They know full well that what you do yeah. is on a completely different level. And I'm sure, and I, we yeah. can see that with, you know, people like, it's quite clear that Valentino Rossi like that are, are yeah. almost bemused by what you do, aren't they? Yeah. They, they almost doesn't compute for them even. They've been, they've been, Rossi's been, Lorenzo's been, we've had, you know, Weber's been there, Toto Wolf was there. We've had a few, a few cheeky stars under the radar come across. And it's lovely that, that all of them, respect it yeah you know they 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 understand it you know they, they, they get it and the powerful influential people as well and it, it would be so sad for them to say that's a death trap you know it could be so hard you know send it the other way yeah. because the positive about it it's better for us you know it makes it a bit more professional and and a bit more intriguing for everybody a bit more romantic but it you know it doesn't need a kick in the bollocks it's nothing to do with anybody else you know, years and years ago, the press slagged it to death, death trap, death island, all this. Like, it used to wind me up to death, you know. Yeah. Like, if any if any press now, and I've tried to be like a bit of a radio liaison with a few a few of the guys. I said, look, if they start talking about that, just rubbish it, yeah. completely blanket. Just say, I know what we'll talk about. So they can't give him anything. Just go, hang on a minute. What about when Surtees raced here? And what about when Aylwood raced here? And what about Agostini? What about all the glamorous times in the 60s and world championships? And I know people get injured, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's still still an epic place and it's still, it will survive 100%. 
Right, we're going to take a slight break there and come back and ask him some four-wheel questions. Um, biscuit choice, well, it's quite a hot day for us. I'd say avoid a biscuit. Normally, I normally advise a biscuit. I'd say don't mess about magnums, all these fancy new ice creams. I think a good old-fashioned budget choc ice. No no branding, just a choc ice, milk chocolate. Go and get one of them. Yeah, like that? And, uh, and then we'll come back and continue what is, for me, one of the most fantastic conversations we've had on this podcast. Collecting cars, the safe, smart, and simple way to buy and sell collectible cars. An online auction platform. Follow us on Instagram at Collecting Cars and also CollectingCars.com. Welcome to the CollectingCars.com podcast with Chris Harris and Edward Lovett. Right, welcome back to this fantastic podcast with John McGuinness. We're still chuckling about talking about someone's beard. We'll talk about that later on, maybe. Um, I hope you enjoyed your chalk ice. Now, we've done a lot of two-wheel stuff, obviously. We'll come back to that in a minute. But let's talk about some four-wheeled stuff because... Um, We've arrived here. You, you were you were trying to make the fourth cylinder on your tractor work, or was it the sixth cylinder? I don't know. One of them, because you'd run out of diesel. But there's a lot of four-wheel paraphernalia around here, so you're not just a two-wheel man, are you? No, I mean, I, I grew up around cars with my dad. My dad was a, touched on my dad a little bit with a bike shop, but he's also a, was a car dealer, you know, one of them proper bent car dealers, you know, the <laughs> dodgy one, the <laughs> Arthur Daly style. But it, it, when we were young, you know, it would be my dad would come home with... All sorts, you know, we were so excited whatever he'd, he'd be bringing home, you know, it'd be from Cortinas to Allegro's to Granada's to Princesses to Maxis to, oh, God, there was just all sorts of shite, you know, Super Mirror Furies, uh, Mazdas, early Mazdas, Daxons, and, you know, it was just... Cars, so are, what, cars are everywhere, aren't they? You know, the first car, first car I, I learned to drive was my mum's Daxon 120Y. and Unbreakable. I rolled it. I rolled it. <laughs> I rolled it at fourteen. Yeah, it was epic as well. It was a massive shunt because uh, it was a GPO road where we lived, and my mum was a private road, but it was ditches both sides. So I'm like, "Come on, mum, let me have a drive. Let me have a drive." And my brother was in back. I have a younger brother, about three years younger than me. So we're off down there. Anyway, clip curb, wheel does a full lock on my hands, straight into the ditch. I went through it windscreen. In a wing, come through. Front wheel come through in, in a wing. My mum's straight at dashboard, smashes her like a ribs, goes over, flattens the roof. My me, me son, me, me son, my brother's trapped in the back. Oh, all right, carry on. You know, when <laughs> I've ever seen it on a movie, I didn't think it was actually true. <laughs> when it landed back on its on its wheels, it was flat out. <laughs> just revving its tripes off. <laughs> until it, until it must have run out of oil and just shat itself. But... <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I was absolutely panicking like that. 14? Yeah, 14, yeah. Down a private road, massive shunts. I sent my brother, my brother legged it, and like legged it back to get my dad, and my dad, I was absolutely shooting my pants because I was waiting for my dad to come back. I'll never forget, again, he was in a Mark IV Cortina, and it had Ross-style wheels on it, and it just come cruising up because we were in this ditch, and he come above me. You know them looks your dad gives you? It doesn't, not a smack, no yeah. looks that hurt more than a smack. Yeah. I had one of them looks off my dad. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was my my car driving debut, if you like. Yeah, I don't know, I've done a bit of car racing, a bit. Of was it always going to be bikes, not cars, though? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I passed my bike test before my car test, uh, and it was it, it was always going to be 
I mean, everybody likes motorsport, you know, rallying cars, F1. We all watched it. We all watched the watched it on the telly whenever it was on. We all loved the cars, you know. You'd you you were allowed to stay up late to watch the Formula One on it. It was like music, yeah, yeah. You know, it was all all quite cool watching them days. And uh, but yeah, cars were part of our life. You know, we'd be whenever we we're off school, we'd be on the train going up to Carlisle auction and. My dad were that tight when the, the conductor came down to, to have check our tickets. He used to make us stand in the toilet till the conductor walked past, and then we'd get on the train for notes to Carlisle. He'd <laughs> be buy a car, and they were racers. They were rogues, weren't they? They were good crack, you know. They'd all be arguing over a fag in the cafe, you know, who's buying the cup of tea? It's your fucking shout and gives a fag, and you know, if somebody be, you know, an odd time when an odd car come into the in. Th- through the block, you know, that sometimes they'd have the tax disc in the window, so they'd be fighting over tax disc because you used to be out going to the post office, didn't you? Where yeah. the tax disc in, so oh, 30 quid left on that. Where's tax disc? You nick that, you bastard, you know. So it was just nice, you know, and uh, you bring the car back home, give it a teacup, lick a paint, normally clock it. Do you then, think yeah. if you'd put as much time into being a car racer? As a bike racer, you could have been as good, or do you think there's something inherent in your understanding and feel for a bike that isn't there in a car? Never been asked that really before, but I, I probably, I reckon I could have pedaled a car. Well, here we go, good. here yeah. we go. That's a, you've got to believe in yourself, yeah. I mean, I've been doing a bit of car racing at the minute, driving with them fun cups and uh, a little bit of that rallycross, and rallycross debut ended up on its bloody roof, but... Does it, there, there, John, there is a theme here. Yeah, no, I'm not, though, I'm a good driver, honestly. I'm a good driver. <laughs> it was a mechanical problem, yeah, but it wasn't much fun flying through the air, I'll tell you. Uh, but the fun cup thing, I, I, I'm a couple of tenths off, and it's unbelievably frustrating it's really frustrating how are they just making that little bit and i suppose it goes back to our earlier conversation it's time seat time you know it's being in the in the in behind the wheel or behind the bars of a bike you know you can't nobody's got a magic wand and you can't just do it you know i went to done a couple of rounds of this fun cup and they're like old granddads and there's a, there's a class for like over 50s or 60s or something and like you know they've got a middle-aged spread on and you know, and I think, who's this guy here? He can't be any good, you know. I'm going to smoke him. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> or he was ex-test driver for whatever. He's driven GT cars and whatever. But, yeah, it's not easy. But it's frustrating. But uh, still, just, you know, the, the few times I've driven them cars, I want to get better at it. But, but the history- still not bikes, though. They don't blow my skirt up like a bike. Yeah, I can imagine. If you've, if, you've, if you've tasted raw heroin, if someone gives you a joint, <laughs> it's probably not as good, is it? It's just... I can't imagine. I, don't, I never respected car racers when I was younger. It was always, oh, they're F1 guys, you know, wankers and one thing or another. And they're not, you know, they are, they are, they're elite athletes. You know, they train hard, they work hard. I mean, you get a tiny, tiny, tiny little feeling in some cars that you drive of what it must be like to be in a Formula One car. You know, you're absolutely welded in one of them solid and doing, you know, I, I was going around cops at 90 mile an hour in a fun cup car they're going around at 200 mile an hour they're flat in, through cops yeah, flat through cops and so it just and I was like whoa getting a little tweak on in this fun cup car with a, with an 1800 golf behind me with a carburetor on it you know so I, with all that downforce etc cetera, etc cetera, mate you know they, they, they are obviously unbelievable what they do they are the elite drivers so uh, you know no matter what way they got there, they still got to sit in the car and, and do it. You know. Oh, I totally agree. But the the, the transferal of skills between bike and car, it's fascinating because not many people get the opportunity now because they're such divergent sports. But you know, someone like Halewood, yeah, mind bending. Surtees as well. 
unimaginable in the modern era. And, you know, Valentino Rossi gets out in a rally car now and again, does a good <coughs> job, doesn't he? But the, and, and Colin McRae famously was, everyone said was quite quick when they put him on a, on a then MotoGP bike, mm. what do they called it, a Grand Prix bike then. Yeah. But let's face it, that it doesn't seem that there's anyone that could probably do both to the absolute top level. No chance, no. I, I, I think you're right, you know. I, don't, I think in time they could do it, but they haven't got, they haven't got the time, you know. It's... When Surtees, when they walked away from it, they, they I don't know. I, I'd, I'd love to have been, I'd love to have met Mike Hailwood. He's a bit of a hero, man, and my dad's hero. And stuff. Yeah. I remember when I matched Hailwood's 14 wins at the TT, I just, there's been a lot of people in the winner's enclosure at the TT that I've, I've, I've wanted to be there when I've actually, Agostini's been there, Murray Walker was there when did the first 130-mile-an-hour lap, and Murray was in tears. Yeah. He said, you know, it was amazing. I, I witnessed the first 80 mile an hour 90. I never thought I'd be alive to witness the first 130. But when I finished in 2008 and matched Halewood, I felt a bit guilty because he was everyone's hero. You know, I should never really pass Halewood. Yeah. It's like doing a national treasury, isn't it? But I wish he were there. But I can't imagine what it'd be like to jump off them and then jump in a, in a Formula One car and be competitive in them. You know, I, I, I can't see it. No, it's, it's, it's different. It's different. So road car, what do you knock about in? Um, van man at the minute. I do a lot in the van, but transporter van. You know, the full on bling, twenty inch wheel, pausing my wheel. Six sixty grand's worth a thirty grand van. Yeah, it's a it's a T six point one, but it's kindly donated to me by <laughs> Van and Combi and Rent Truck from Rochdale. Yeah, shameless plug, but great van. You know, I mean. It, it, I, I, when I put my motocross bike in, I feel guilty because it's lovely inside and you know getting changed and shit everywhere. So I like, I try and look after it. I have a lot of respect for the van, but uh, it's uh, we we have a Range Rover Vogue as well, a diesel one. Uh, but I don't know. I always wanted one. Don't know why. Yeah. A lot of people say, "What do you want them for?" The crap. But I think it's lovely. Yeah. It's good enough for the Queen. It's good enough for me, lad. Also, if you're if you're if the rest of your life is very high octane. The way you want to get around on the road is comfortable and mm. up high and safe, isn't it? You don't need I've to seek a, the thrill yeah, on the road, I've, do you? I've, I used to. I, you know, I've, I've, had a, I've got a 911, an old 996, and one with the horrible headlights that nobody likes, and uh, I like it. But I did the treble at the TT in 2006. I always wanted a Porsche. I thought, I'm going to go and get one. That's it. I'm having one. Anyway, I bought it at Milton Keynes, one owner, blah, 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 and I've had it ever since, you know. And uh, I used it flat out for a while, winter, flat out everywhere in it winter summer whatever loved it loved it and still got it now and i just i've just mot'd it last couple of weeks for the summer and we do uh i don't go too far i haven't taxed it yet so i can't bring myself to tactics as you say now it's all online so you can't get away with it can you i know but i can sneak around up the back streets and take nazis to school and at my daughter because she lives (laughs) in a village school so i'm not going to tax it at the minute i'll just try and get away with it it's all right for the back streets I've got an old Bentley Arnage as well that everybody rips me to death, mate. But I love it. What a car. Handmade, walnut dash, everything, flipping 6.75 roller in it. Swapped it for a TT winning watch because when you you win an odd TT, you get these fancy watches. But I have absolute zero interest in in watches. (laughs) I mean, watch old Bentley in the garage? Yeah. No brainer, innit? No. I mean, you know, my, my iPhone tells me what time it is. You know, and they're free, so... You don't see any fancy yeah, watches I, here? I, I'm not interested. People mm. have these bling watches on. I'm like, what? 
So yeah. I have got one for the ones of doubt. I have got one, but I don't wear it very often. Yeah, well, mine, them ones are. I've still got a few left, and if anybody wants one, just give us a uh, give us a shout. Uh, but they're just never seen the light of day. We're well, quite like a phantom, wouldn't you? You were discussing <laughs> earlier the idea because I, I did do that, and um, I love the idea of you wanting to buy a phantom. I hope I put you <laughs> off it because the bills were catastrophic <laughs> that came with it. But there's something about isn't it weird why you'd want one of them. Well, because a bit like you, I just see this object that's cost so much money for someone to buy, costs so many hours for skilled craftsmen to make, and I can't understand why it's got such a low value now. The mm. way they depreciate. I mean, if you've been to Bentley and seen the new Milzan, well, the one that they've just stopped making actually being built, you think, how is that so cheap now? That's taken weeks to make with the best <laughs> materials. Why did they collapse? Who but, makes the rules? Because... The market says that the people that buy them um, don't want them for that long. And once those people have bought them, they're so expensive to run and they're considered to be so plutocratic. You know, such an ostentatious display of wealth that mm. people don't want them. The thing about your Arnage is it's ironic. It's completely it? the opposite to me, though, because I haven't got loads of wealth. I'm not bothered. I just like the car. I yeah. like the car. Yeah. You know, I, you know, it was 170-odd grand something new. But I don't think about that. I just think, look at the wing on it. Somebody's made that. Somebody's kneeled it and put it on an English wheel. They've bent it, shaped it. You know, everything about it is completely unique. And, you know, and I just, I just like, I like the car. You know, my missus hates it. You know, she gets it back, but she's asleep in about 0.3 of a second. Is that comfortable? <laughs> Can't park the bloody thing. We went to York in it a few last year or something. <laughs> Couldn't park it anywhere. I got a good picture of missus. And kids are sleeping, but like catching flies. But I mean, what a lovely motor that Rolls Royce engine! It's iconic, isn't it? Yeah. You know, six point seven five liter. I did a rolling burnout in it when I first got it, and back axle exploded. That one. <laughs> How Just, many people buy an R nine and do that? But it, hot crown wheel and everything, pinion just comes straight through it back at. Back at diff and just a massive pool of oil on the side of the road. <laughs> well, I wrote, I wrote Bentley fell. It's uh, we never had one of them go. We never. <laughs> anyway, I found one. I have a written off one, but I got it repaired. But I've had an M3. I've had a what I've had. I've had M3. I've had that uh, Phoenix yellow. Remember that color? Yeah, yeah. Black wheels, Armand car, and stereo TV. That was epic. Beautiful car. Yeah. Is it an E30? That would be E46, would it? Yeah, yeah. 52 player was. Yeah, E46. Lovely car. Loved it. Terrible rotten subframes at the rear now, sadly. Is that right? They yeah. did an SMG one, didn't they? Like a, yeah. Did you have a manual or did you have an SMG? Manual. Yeah, a manual. manual six. Lovely, yeah. Limited to 155, weren't they? Uh, How did you know that? Because oh, we've tried it many times. <laughs> I always used to find they'd hit 167 on the speedo, though. <laughs> I had an E300. Did you? That was all right. An old, normally aspirated straight six E300 P reg. That run well on red diesel. That was all right. Uh, I had a. <laughs> yeah, an Evo 7. I had Alistair McRae's Evo 7, number one, the very first one. I bought it as an investment and blew my brains in. Uh, I lost some money on that. Then I had a Subaru Impreza. One of them three, three, three things. Yeah. Pink. pink setup thing yeah that one nice yeah i got i was into my cars a bit and like i say i did still the, a little bit of wheeling and dealing was was in me at the time so somebody bid me some profit and away they went and stuff but i wouldn't part on my portion now did you ever buy a car for the wrong reason did you ever buy a car because it was an image thing did you ever buy a car afterwards and then think oh i didn't buy that for the right reasons <laughs> probably not no no i've what a nice thing no. to be able to say because I've definitely you know, done that. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Do you know what? The, 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 when I was 17 and I passed my test, like I said, I used to use my dad's insurance policy. But I used to borrow my mum's cars all the time because so I never had a car. And uh, oh, my mum just used to drive scrap, you know, Avengers. She had an Avenger for a while. Then she had a, 
marina, a couple of marinas, but uh, then a Mazda 626, remember that? They were built like oh, tanks, weapons, really good car. There used to be a jump, like an humpback bridge over one of the... Uh, <laughs> Over one of the canals, and if you hit it hard enough, back seat used to come off. So if anybody were in back, they'd be just seat and dis dismantle itself, and boys would be through through the roof of the car and stuff. But just in them days, you used to get away with murder, didn't you? Cruising around. But I went to uh, that, that that marina was good. I went everywhere in the marina. I went to a few bike shows in that, to a few races. It was an estate, you know, the orange one. It was like yeah. a burnt orange thing. Yeah. But it was a, they were a TC one. They were twin car, or twin cam, seventeen hundred. I think they were twin carb, weren't twin they? Twin carb, yeah, seventeen hundred thing TC, yeah. But I don't know. Like I say, we've got the Range Rover now. It's great. It's pretty idiot proof. It's automatic. Put the kids in the back. Put the telly on. You know, pretty safe. I haven't had any bills for it yet. So it's an old one though. I would never buy a new one. I never buy a brand new car and blow my brains in. The Range Rover ours is <clears throat> 60, 64 plate. So it's, it's done a bit of leg. It's an 80,000. But it looks like 70 grand, doesn't it? Yeah. It's got a private plate on it. So it looks like a million quid and it's worth 25 grand. <laughs> <laughs> the bike thing fascinates me, the bike community thing, because bear with me here. You think this is tangential and I've lost my marbles here, but. Have you seen my motorhome? No. I've got a nice motorhome. Yeah, I've heard about that. Guy for, Martin said for, you polish it now and again. For, <laughs> um, He's polishing other things. <laughs> so the, the, um, His oily hands. <laughs> the, uh, the, the bike community thing is fascinating. So I didn't, I didn't join the bike community till I was, you know, nearly in my 40s. And as someone that loved cars, I always viewed the bike community slightly warily. I thought they were quite dangerous, scary people. They took a very dim view of car drivers. We were all sort of shandy drinking Southern softies, uh, you know, all, all that, all the normal language surrounding that. But the, I always, the bike community is one that wants to be recognized and wants to be respected. And there, and with that comes a kind of mainstream recognition, but it, it also wants to be slightly nihilistic and it wants to be not ordinary and i've always found that a bit conflicting the idea that you know bikers we need respect on the road we want to be normalized but also we want to remain renegade and a bit out there how, how do you view the bike community i think there's 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 all walks of life in it isn't there yeah no, it's a shame there's not as many youngsters coming through you know it's very difficult now to get a license in it to ride any other bikes and I mean, I don't even know now. I shouldn't know, but I don't even know how the hell you get onto a big bike from being 17 year old. Yeah. Uh, well, there's girls, there's boys, there's there's old boys, young boys. Like I say, there's a bit of everything. There's a there's a bike out there for everybody, different styles, isn't there? But uh, yeah, there's still that stigma, isn't there? There's still that little bit of there needle, is. a little bit of needle. And there shouldn't be because there isn't with me. You know, I, no. I, I like I like the you know the the, the car boys there's not again there's not as many cars out anymore is there you know you don't see the car meets and nobody's got the big bore exhaust on or they've not crashed into halfords have they got no the it's about driving down the king's road sledding your supercar now mm. which is a little bit sad so if you see a if you see someone tinted visor full leathers on and they're on a gsxr 1000 it's normally a jixer isn't it and they suddenly give it the back wheel coming out of the village <laughs> do you go get on it son or do you or a bit of you thinking we'll be careful what's, well, your, what's your reaction yeah if if, if they're in the, in the town antagonizing everybody i think prick yeah you know uh but without doing the thing and not putting anybody else at any harm then then yeah crack on crack, crack on crack on you know it's there's a time and a place for everything isn't there i think you know, that's it it's uh you know, I still get giddy in my Porsche now and again. You know, I, I'm, I don't know what tell you a lie. You know, I've had it fastest. I've had that thing off the revel between top gear down the M6, 188 mile an hour with three of us in it. I'd made it lent across the back two seats and 
missus was in the front, we were coming back from a chat show somewhere in Darlington, and it was, I'm thinking, perfect conditions here. It was about two in the morning, it was downhill, and it was winter as well, you know, the air's a bit dense, so I thought I'd have a bit more power tonight, so. Tapped the missus up, said, you're all right for a flat out job, my mate in bar, so just warn you, if all goes wrong, it's not my fault. Looking, <laughs> okay. And then she was quite fresh, the old 9-11 there. So I saw a 188 registered, I was like, that was a buzz. I mean, they're like, really you know, screaming, like, they sound good, they sound good, the engine sounds yeah, good, doesn't it? It was just, Wah. it was absolutely like flat to the stick. But, but it must feel like a slug after a bike. <laughs> I felt fast. Did it? Really, it felt fast, yeah, because I'm out of my comfort zone. It feels really weird, you know, you sat really low to the ground, I'm thinking, you know, I hope there's not a pallet dropped off a truck here, oh, we're dead. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, bikers bikers can wind you up a little bit, you know, noise exhaust, wham, 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 through towns, kids in prams, all that, and it just antagonises all the local parishes and all that. But they don't like us. Whether whether we were sensible or not, they're still. That's if you the had a vote, point. you know, get a vote, you know, eighty-five percent would say get rid of motorbikes. It's as simple as that. But you know, bikers are good people. They are. You know, nice people, friendly people. You know, they're uh, we a lot of them have got good jobs. They're good people. They've, they've you know, they've just got a passion. Good communities. They've you know, got a passion. Of course, they have. Yeah. You know, they're not doing any harm. We we have a bike club up here on the first Thursday of every month. There were six hundred and eighty bikes there. Next village to us. And it's just a massed gathering of people yapping shite. You know, I don't know them, oh, that's them, blah, blah, blah. Then you've got your ones of, oh, that's got the wrong mudguard on that. That's not got the right period mudguard on, you know, a couple of twats around, and you always think, oh, wanky, you know. But then there's other people who've, and then, you know, you, I had a bike 30 years ago, I thought I'd go again, you know. Uh, no, kids have grown up, I've got a bit of disposable, I thought I'd buy one of these. Well, hey, fair play, enjoy it. There's a bike out there, everything, there's a cruiser, there's a Harley, there's a, and, Embrace it. Embrace it, you know. There's going to be accidents. There's going to be problems. There's going to be... There is with everything. We're on about air crashes, won't we? They sometimes go down. We can't get onto that subject. <laughs> we have a yeah, similar fascination in air crash investigations. We're not going to go there. I'd like to be in an air crash, but get away with it. Just to see that feeling. I'm not, sure you like. can, I'm not sure you can sign that contract, can you? You can't define that in your own terms. No, but it would... No, but... Imagine, you know, like, well, fuck, and then everything goes all right, you know. I think that says but, that tells us more about what's going on inside your <laughs> noggin than anything nah, else. <laughs> you get some dis- you get some compensation as well, wouldn't you? <laughs> you just fall up floor in a big heap and say you're traumatised. You probably get a touch for a few years. <laughs> Unbelievable! Right now, what we need to do here because uh, we're going to have to wrap it up because we go on for hours and hours. It's an absolutely wonderful conversation. Um, now uh, we've got. I bet you say that to all these guests, don't you? No, no, no. I really don't, do I? Normally, I'm, normally I'm saying to him, can we, oh, can we wrap this up? Um, so we've got we've got a couple of model kits to give away because this 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 conversation came about through um, a shared love for radio controlled cars uh, and uh, Mr. Tamir, who um, has made some of the best model kits and certainly even. I taught more. I was taught more about the way a car works through a Tamiya model than I was probably a car itself. So we've got two model kits to give away, right? And we need a suitable question that you've got to ask about yourself, which is just the kind of thing you love doing. I can imagine. Let's think of a question to ask, and, the, and we'll pull two answers out of the hat, and you get to win a Tamiya model kit. Okay. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be ask something about your career? Give us a question. Come on. I'm putting you on the spot here. How many wins? What was your first bike you run on? Something like that. Uh, Favorite color? Do we have to make it complicated or? Yeah, go on, make it difficult. We don't give, these these are, if we if we don't have to give them away, we get to keep them. <laughs> I just built one actually. I built that uh, dark impact. Is that right, Mister? It's over then. Dark impact. Is it called dark impact? Yeah, dark impact. Yeah, actually, like, sounds, like sounds like a, like a very sexual subject. tool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
deep impact. <laughs> Maybe that should I be. Bet you've got a dark, dark impact. Yeah, dark, impact. dark impact. Dark impact. Dark impact driver. D- deep impact should be the corner after the bomb hole, shouldn't it? <laughs> bomb hole into the deep impact. <laughs> Round the pink curve. <laughs> Round the st- out of the pink into the stink. Um, <laughs> Come on then, let's have a question. Uh, well, there's loads of there's loads of. Uh, things we haven't touched on, haven't we? So, like some of my career, I've done some world, world super sport. I've done, I've done, I've done three Grand Prix, you know. I know. Three, five. We've not even Grand got Prix. there. Let's yeah. do, we're not going to win this now. We're going to carry was, on. I was so, in Valentina. I was in Valentina Rossi's first ever 500 cc win. You said that. You were on the way up. 2000. Yeah. I said so, it yeah. Where did you finish? 12th. 12th. That's your highest finish as well, isn't it? 12th. Yeah. Yeah. I was lying 10th in the 1999. 500 race and the front wheel was rubbing on the radiator for the whole race and it seized up on the last lap but I was pretty cool because I I did the 250 Grand Prix in 97 as a wild card did the three 500s in 98, 99, 2000 they were all British where there's a wild British, card yeah Donington yeah, yeah. Do you, how does that work do you get invited to do that how yeah. does that work yeah yeah we, we had a we had a 500 for the when I was in the Vimptor team the team had a 500 in the back of the truck and that year that, that bike we did the race of the year on it we did three, so excuse me, full of, full of pop. Uh, monster, did, monster energy. Monster energy, of course, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we did the the same bike. We did the race of the year at Mallory Park. We did three Scarborough races on it. We did a TT on it. We did the Macau Grand Prix on it, an event called Stars of Dali, and we also did the Wildcard 500 Grand Prix. You Who's imagine, got that bike now? Uh, do you know what? That bike is literally two miles from it. Do you not want that bike? I can't afford it, yeah. (laughs) You know, at the time, Birdie sold it for 25 grand. And at that that time in my life, I never had 25 quid. But I know the guy who's got it, and I've ridden it a few times, done some parades on it, and it's still epic. Little 500cc V-twin two-stroke. I mean, animal to ride. But uh, my my point is, imagine like Marquez is, is, you know, RCV Grand Prix bike doing like, a national race in Spain, and then this, and doing a TT on it, then going to Macau. And all. It was just great. We're like, I've got 500 in van. Yeah. Oh, we'll get it out, you know what I mean? And we did, we did all these events on it, and scored, we scored points in the Grand Prix. It was, yeah, it was... They would, I've done so many things, but, you know, somebody handed me a, uh, a uh, flag, you know, because I scored the points. She's have a tracking version. It always felt great, you know. It was uh, patting on the back. Give him somebody, give me a flag, and I was waving it, waving it, and he got caught in the fucking back wheel. And <laughs> bike just stopped. What a wanker. So I had to go back. <laughs> I had to bring the bike back in a van. I know. Fucking old flag was rat rat back, backled. It's like, ah. Uh, like from hero to zero, you know. But yeah, that, you know, the yeah, 500 Grand Prix, 250 Grand Prix, World Super Sport. Tell us about Macau quickly. What's it like right oh, around Macau's there? Macau's great. Macau's great. It's a great track. It's a great, it's a very, get transfixed on it because it's yellow, black, yellow, black, yellow, yellow, black. It's just like going down tunnels all the time. It's, uh, the, the, the big problem with Macau is the bike racing gets in the way of a fantastic holiday. <laughs> you know, they're all, all absolutely living the dream. It's off oh, a fuck. I've got to get on the bike in the morning and you're full of vodka and there's ladies of the night disappearing out of your room and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And all the car boys, it's super important for the car guys. Yeah. You know, the touring cars and the F3. I mean, I, Did I, you see that crash that girl had? Yeah. 
What's yeah. that all about? Yeah. I've never seen that no. crash. Went backwards. Oh my lord! I reckon there was like bits of fence stuck in the car everywhere. I've seen some massive crashes there with cars, like serious crashes. You know, you just think. Have that GT3 race where they actually got stuck? All of them. Did you see that a few yeah. years ago? But they actually yeah. f- few of them got in that really tight yeah. section. So climb on top of each other. And they were just, they were just, yeah, it's terrible. Most expensive crash in history, but. I went there in 1998 and it was, it was Jensen Button in the F3 car. Then I went in 19, I've been every year since 1998. I've been there a long time. Rod 500 there, two shot. First time there. And then I've seen all the Grand Prix guys come through. All the Formula One guys. Yeah, I've, I've seen been there. them all, yeah? yeah. seen them all come through and go on to, to great things. But it's, we're just a sideshow. The cars are the main thing. The bikes were just a, a you know, a, a sideshow to them. But hell of a track, you know, but it's, it's, so hot, so humid, really, really physical. It's just change of direction at the top all the time, good cambers, and but it, it's a dodgy, dodgy circuit. You just got to go there and just get through it and got back on the drink for a few yeah. days. <laughs> but to, to, mentally, is it similar to the TT? Just if you really put yourself out there, it's going to go wrong. You've got to stay within yourself. Yeah. yeah, because it's a short thing. There's a few lads being killed there. And when you do crash, you've got nowhere to go, nowhere to go. I mean, it's... At the TT, you can have, I've seen massive crashing people walk away. But there, the bike's got nowhere to go. So yeah. the bike's just a pinball, bing, bing, just, and it's the track, the bike is going to be in the track. So it creates everybody else from behind. So the start of the race is horrible. You need to be on the first couple of rows and try and get out of the way. But I've had some good, I won it in 2001, 20 years ago, I won it. Uh, been on the podium lots of times. I've had some epic times there. Macau is great. I've seen it change a lot, you know. I've seen them just bulldoze. Like more land, seven hundred foot casino. You know, come next day, another seven next year, another seven hundred. It's out of control. Uh, but I mean, it's it, they've, they've cleaned it up a lot now. There's not as many <laughs> street walkers around. That it's a bit more tidy. You know, years ago, problem with Macau, it gets in the way of a good weekend. <laughs> yeah, the racing gets in the way of a good good holiday. But we've it's it's like I say we, it's it's serious when you get on the bike you've really got to concentrate and then you know it's just proper serious for three days and just back on the drink but the cowboys are so serious and we have to do some PR events with them and they just they just can't wait us up words to start all hung over and stuff and they're all <laughs> watching the P's and Q's and everything now. so professional we're just like talking about press conferences of course one of the without realising it you know within <laughs> within within your community you were Incredibly well known, and actually, to to those of us that have a sort of broader um, appetite for motorsport, knew exactly who you are within the car world, and and already thought you were amazing. But it was that press conference you gave about the old chap on Not the, the tank. One. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. that was but without realizing it, that pushed that pushed you into a new <laughs> realm of stardom. Probably more than winning more TTs. You you talked you talked about though. you talked about your old chap on the tank, <laughs> and suddenly ten million more people knew about you. <laughs> Well, he's just he, like I say. He's, there's no our press conferences. <laughs> I, I love being there. I just look. I love looking around at the, the riders and things. And you can just go through what they've been through. You know, you just you realise what you've actually just done. Yeah. You know, and it's quite emotional at times. You know, James Hilly, he's an emotional fellow. He's been in tears lots of times after he's been on the podium with me, and, and he's just said, you know, I can't, I can't believe what we've just done. I cannot believe, you know, that two hours of that. But guy was waffling on about something, and he's just. He always takes the line that I thought, fuck him, he's having it here. So I just said, oh, yeah, you know, my foreskin come back on the bottom of Bray Hill. And it did. It did. I've done it a few times. It's weird. What was the exact phrase? There's a something, there's a hood. Is it a hood? Yeah, there's, hood a yeah, yeah. there's a hood there. It's it? a temperature-related thing, isn't it? I don't think it... It doesn't hurt. It's just a weird feeling, isn't it? It's like when you put... I mean, I don't know if you've 
depends how much he's been used in the past, you I suppose. Know, like it, it, it's when it comes back, you're just like it's not hurt, it's just a weird feeling. You're like, oh, I don't feel quite right. <laughs> I just, I'm like, I'm riding. I'm, I'm sort of, yeah, trying to. But also, the serious side is, it's another thing that you're thinking about that you should be, you should yeah. be using that processing power on going forwards. Yeah, not thinking, oh, what. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm just sort of thinking, fuck, I need to hit the next apex here, but I need to get my, my hood over the top here and get it back to normal. <laughs> but I've been covered in fuel as well. My, my bollocks have been covered in fuel a few times, and that hurts. Like race fuel on your knackers, it hurts, and I've been drenched in it before, and you're like, fuck. Well, you've got a very healthy son, so it's fine. I've seen him. <laughs> yeah, he's all right. He was conceived <laughs> on the front seat of a Honda Civic, by the way. <laughs> One of my first uh, sponsored cars. <laughs> Honda gave me Honda Civic. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, God, I didn't even Amazing. know where Right, we need a question. All right, okay, then. It might be a boring question. We can ask me another one. What, uh, what, did, what did the team, our team finish in the 2011 24-hour endurance race at Le Mans? There you go. There's a the question. You've heard it. So the first, that's not going to be the first two answers. We'll get the answers together. You can write them in the comments section, either on Instagram or on YouTube, um, and we will draw two from a hat and then we will send you one of these two Tamiya models which are oh, I just love them they're brilliant they remind you of the 80s and childhood I just built one Have I you? just built one yeah, but you, yeah I, I, kindly sent one but I'm not sure about the name well yeah the name's Deep Impact I think it's obviously some somebody's been smoking something when they decided to uh, <laughs> dig it around like, the table it's either a hot shot a boomerang a grasshopper <laughs> I don't remember being named after a sex toy <laughs> It's nice to build. It was, uh, yeah, there she is, yeah. It's called Dark Impact. Oh, that, oh yeah. Well, it's nearly, yeah. So I built like myself, mate. Built like myself, yeah. No, do you know what? I, 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 and you've been generous with the grease in there as well. Yeah, well, she's greased up. She's built. She's got there. Uh, you have to build the shocks, put the oil in the shocks, put the seals in the shocks, build all the grass on your half shafts as well. It's been used. Yeah, no, we've flat out around the, uh, around the house on it. So. Uh, well, look, John McGuinness, that has been... <laughs> A sensational, I don't know how long that is, it's quite a long one, isn't it? But that is, uh, I hope <laughs> you've enjoyed listening to that. I know some of it's not family listening, but uh, we've put a warning at the top of it's it. Ch- it's got- changed my uh, opinion on you. Somebody said you're a dick, but you're actually not a bad fella, are you, sir? No, I'm the I'm a proper I'm a proper whopper, mate. That's why I live on my own, um, and I'm 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 uh, hugely grateful. That was magnificent, John McGuinness. Um, yeah, absolute legend. Now, the adjunct to that is he said. I'm terrible at riding motorcycles, and I'm um, I can never do a wheelie. So he's gonna we're gonna go outside now. He's gonna teach me how to do a wheelie, and there might be a film. But he's also said, as a suffix to that, that there's plenty of space for the air ambulance to land <laughs> should it go wrong. So uh, wish me luck, John McGinnis. Thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers, glad you guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.